Hey, good morning, everybody. How are you doing today? All right, good to see you guys. How many, how many of you, like me, have a visceral reaction to that sound? <laughs> Woo! Man, I need therapy after that. It's kind of like um, the wake-up sound. As I get older, I, 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 there's things about my dad that I find myself doing. How many of you experience this in life? You go, I'm never going to be like my parents. I, my parents are amazing, so I'd like to be like them in a lot of ways, but but some ways, you know, not so much. Well, I remember when I was young, my dad, it'd be like four in the morning and I'd wake, wake up, you know, as a teenager and I'd just hear, it sounds like basically a, a deranged bear making its way through the house. <laughs> and it's just my dad. And I would say, dad, you know, what, what are you doing? You know what I mean? Like I heard you up in the middle of the night and he's just like, when you're old, you have to pee all the time. You can't sleep. <laughs> he was only 30, but you know, it was... Um, <laughs> So now I find myself as a man of, of advancing age. I was told this week that I look 40-ish. Yeah, how many, and like, just so you know, I'm 35. So 40-ish could be 45. And the guy that I was on, I was on a Zoom call with this guy, and he was, he, he's European, so we could give him grace, you know. Uh, and he goes, you know, like people like that are 40-ish like you. And I was like, oh, well, I'm 35, but let's just let the record show. And I said, I do have a lot of gray in my beard, but he's like, yeah, like I said, 40-ish. I said, no, 40-ish could be 45, you know, or 35, 40-ish, right? You don't, 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 don't say ish. Um, so, you know, as I get older, I, I just, uh, I, I find myself with alarms. I don't even need an alarm. Like, no matter what, I always wake up an hour before I need to. As an, as an, is this helping anybody else? I don't know. Is this true? It's like, if I set my alarm for four in the morning, three in the morning, I wake up and my brain's like, you're awake now, get up, you know, and, and uh, I, don't, I don't understand. That has nothing to do with the message today. I just, I just wanted to talk about my problems because <laughs> I feel like if I was going to go to therapy and pay by hour by hour, it would be expensive. But now because I have like, you know, a few hundred people to listen to my problems, I don't need to go. Does that, does that work? Is that how the math works out? We could just rotate, right? Just come on up and who needs some time? Come on up here. We'll get a couch. And then somebody with a German accent will say, I think this is what is wrong with you. You're crazy. You know, it's the problem. You just need to think differently. All right. Well, guys, we're talking about prayer today, the power of prayer as a part of our Keystone Habit series. And I've really enjoyed uh, this series. And I enjoy this idea um, about habits in our life, that there are certain habits where we build a discipline, it becomes a habit, and then it forms this thing called a keystone habit, which is a habit that has a disproportionate effect. It, it affects other things in your life. So scientifically, we know there are different things. One of them that's weird, uh, that's actually a keystone habit, that I find to be nonsensical is making your bed. You're just going to get in it again, right, in about 12 hours or so. Um, so anyways, but they've shown scientifically that actually people that make their bed, it tends to affect other areas of their life and things get better. They have more, they have less anxiety, more peace, make more money, so on and so forth. So that's a keystone habit. We've talked about in this series, some spiritual keystone habits, such as reading your Bible every day. And today we're going to talk about the power of prayer and forming a prayer life, having a prayer life rather than just a prayer time or prayer, uh, just in certain moments or situations, but a prayer life that becomes habitual, where we make going to God and communicating with God, which is what prayer is, uh, we make that our first response rather than our last resort, right? How many times do we treat prayer, which is just 
talking to God, listening to God, communication with God, we make that our last resort. So when things get really bad, uh, when you start realizing, people start calling you 40-ish, you start, things get really bad, then you go to God at the very last uh, moment, rather than really turning to God in prayer and having that communication with God. So the thing about prayer, though, what I've found in life is that many people agree with the idea, I should pray more, prayer's a good idea. Like, just real quick poll, how many of you think, I could pray more, prayer's probably good, I should pray, I should listen to God, and I'd want to hear God's voice if he had something to say to me. Like, stop, you know, that's a good one, don't go any further, uh, you're going to drive off a cliff. I'd love him to tell me, you know, if that was going to happen. Um, we, we really agree with that, but what stops most people, I find, uh, is that we feel under-equipped or perhaps like, I don't know what to say. I don't really know what to do. And uh, this, this really came to my attention several years ago. I was sitting down with this dear lady. She was, had been a Christian for a long time. And I was doing an interview with her, kind of her joining the church type of a thing. And I said something about my daily devotions. And I just mentioned it offhandedly. Like, yeah, I was in my daily devotions. And she's like, what's that? And I was like, well, you know, <laughs> right? You know, when you think somebody knows what you know, or their experiences are the same, and uh, they don't know, you know what I mean? Like, I thought everyone was enlightened and knew that God's team is the Ducks, but apparently there are people that think other teams. Anyways, she, she said, what is that? And I said, well, you know, it's like the time in the morning with God, like your time of prayer, your time of Bible reading. And I said, so your time of prayer? She says, well, I, I don't know how to pray. What, what, do you, what do you mean? Like, how do you pray? And this person had been a Christian for a while. And, and I'm not criticizing her. Like it was a totally legitimate, transparent, authentic moment. And just say, I don't know how to pray. I don't understand it. And so I began to share with her, well, prayer is just communication with God. It's just talking and listening. She's like, oh, I don't have to say certain things. No, I don't have to like be in a certain position. Like I don't have to put my hands together like this. You know what I mean? To do it. No, it actually works fine if your hands are not together. <laughs> Did you know that? Did you know that God can actually hear you if you don't close your eyes? And that we can see you when you close your eyes? I'm invisible. No, you're not. It, it, it's not a formulaic thing. It's relational. It's a conversation with God. And so it made me really sad because I realized, wow, you, you just, no one has sort of given you that information, those Lego pieces that would kind of finish something off to help you really enjoy this dynamic, living, interactive relationship with God that a lot of people enjoy because they understand prayer and the simplicity and the discipline of prayer. And so um, it made me sad. And I, and, I, and I actually ended up writing my book, Rocket Fuel, kind of out of that moment of realizing a lot of people just don't understand the very basic essential things about prayer or reading their Bible or just the idea of daily time with God. But I get being under-equipped. I mean, I, how many of you remember that moment when you first brought your kids? If you have kids, you, the, the moment when you have to leave the hospital and bring your kids home and how scary that is. Do you remember that moment? So for us, the first time was eight years ago, 2011. Evelyn Joy Schmelzer, our dear daughter, was born. And uh, I remember all the emotions and the, everything and crying and happy and all of it. And we actually went to a birth center in Medford uh, with midwives because we're hippies, you know, and and, um, and, and we're scared of hospitals. No, we're not scared of hospitals. It was a wonderful place. It was basically like a spa where you could have a baby. They brought you food. There was massage for Bethany. And um, I mean, apparently they did, I didn't get a massage. I, I thought I worked just as hard, but apparently they didn't think so. So they're like, you watch her, the, the baby, you watch Netflix. And, uh, and I was like, in that moment, I realized I shouldn't watch Shark Week with her because it was too scary. And then a lifetime of, of watching Curious George began and things like that. 
So we're at this wonderful birth center, and, and about three days, uh, we stayed there for about three days, and uh, they were like, well, today you get to take your daughter home. And we're like, no. <laughs> we live here now. This is where we live. Because you people help us keep her alive, you know? And I was very nervous, and the midwife had to show me how to put the, the, the car seat in the car, and I remember us driving. We had a big SUV at the time, and I remember us driving down the freeway or down the road in Medford, and I remember yelling at people. And they're like, sir, you're going 20 on the freeway. But I mean, people are, how dare you, you know, because we're so scared. Do you remember this? I mean, I felt completely under-equipped to be able to do this. By the time we had Penny, our third child, Bethany was in, we were in for like four hours, had the baby. We went to Dutch Brothers on the way home. (laughs) Seriously, because it's old hat, right? We're like, yeah, she's fine. Why is your newborn not even in a car seat? I'm just teasing. No, she was, she was. Having fun, having fun. But we did, we pulled up to the Dutch Brothers, and they're like, what are you guys doing today? We're like, ah, we had a baby, you know, whatever. It's Thursday. Because we, we were comfortable, right? We, we'd been through this experience, but yet many people feel like that first time with prayer. It's kind of like, what do I do? I feel unequipped. I can't, I can't have this relationship with God. What do I do? And that's okay to admit that. I mean, even Jesus' disciples, these men that had been with him and walked with him, we find out in Luke chapter 11, I think this is a really interesting passage. It's a, a little vignette moment window into the, the, the life of Jesus and with his, his guys here. It says in Luke chapter 11, verse 1, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. And it says, when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. Now, I find this tiny verse to be interesting and funny because I imagine that John, who is John the Baptist, you guys remember him with the camel skin coat, eating locusts and honey, right? Baptizing people, calling people hypocrites and all that. That John the Baptist? Okay. He had his disciples and now Jesus comes along and he has his disciples and John's disciples apparently did know how to pray. So whatever that means, and I'm guessing they were the ones who were like at the meal and they were like, you know, totally folding hands. They had all the moves. They could pray like this, like this, like this, like this. You know what I mean? One-handed prayer, two-handed prayer, no legs. You know, they had it all. They could do everything. And so Jesus' disciples observe that John's disciples apparently have some spiritual truth or thing that they don't have. Now, just real quick, how many of you think, man, there's people in this room that are like Christians? Not like me. I'm just like trying to, you know, I'm kind of like a sinner, but I've like, but there's some people in here that are like the real deal, right? How many of you believe that? And you might even think that about me. That's because you don't know me. Uh, You might think, well, man, Pastor Jake must have like a hotline, like 1-800-GOD. Hey, it's Jake. We just need to call down an airstrike right here on this person who didn't show up for nursery this week. You know what I mean? That's not how it works, guys. There aren't like these uber oversaved Christians. Well, some people think they are. Don't identify yourself. Uh, And you're not invited to the 50 plus gathering afterwards either, (laughs) you Pharisee. But there's people, we think that they're like these super Christians that are dialed in and they know how to pray and they've got all the moves. And so Jesus' disciples are like, well, Jesus, we're a little embarrassed because we don't even know how to do the folded hand thing. Like we heard you teaching that message, Jesus, when you said we didn't have to close our eyes and we were all like, okay, yep, knew that. They feel unequipped, under-equipped, and and they don't know what to do. And so Jesus, in this moment, in Luke chapter 11, he actually teaches them how to pray. And he gives them what we call the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, right? 
on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts. We forgive. So you, we know that prayer. We've heard it, or at least you've seen it on a plaque in someone's bathroom, one of those oversaved Christians. So you know the words, but Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray. And, and that's a really powerful prayer. I even think it's a model for prayer where it starts with, you know, recognizing your relationship with God. He's our father, right? We come to him on the basis of relationship, not guilt, not condemnation. Uh, it goes into your kingdom come, your will be done. We start with God's will, not our will. Only after we have worshiped and recognized relationship do we then move into asking for what we need. Hey, give us our daily bread. Uh, forgive me my sin. How many times does our prayer start with us going to God saying, forgive me for all my sin? But we're missing out that it should start with relationship. You're my father, right? I come to you on the basis of, of a relationship. Now, uh, I've done a message on that before, and you can find it in our Rocket Fuel series on YouTube. And so I'm not going to go into all of that today, but Jesus gives them a model for prayer. He teaches them how to pray. He equips them. But what I want to focus on today is not so much the mechanics of prayer, but rather the example and the lifestyle of prayer that Jesus lived. Because to be a person that knows how to pray is very different than being a person who does pray and makes it a habitual practice in their life. And again, the goal is to have a keystone, right? This thing of prayer where prayer is a part of our life that disproportionately and positively affects the rest of our life. How many of you would say that you would like to have a relationship or a conversational relationship with God, an interactive relationship, rather than just religious experience of God, like on Sundays when the team is singing songs, or maybe when you uh, again, are in the bathroom and you happen to see the Lord's Prayer and you have a moment right there, you know, of deliverance in that moment. I thought that was a good joke. But <laughs> you got to know something about me that I'm a pastor's kid. I grew up in church, so I like to, I'm kind of irreverent. I'm sorry. Probably a bad combo for a pastor to be a little bit loosey-goosey, but that's just how it is, okay? We all have our, we all have our cross to bear. Mine is uh, physical handsomeness and uh, intelligence. You're not getting blessed, but you're not bored. All right, so <laughs> Jesus teaches them how to pray, but I want to talk about his lifestyle, his example, because it's not enough just to know how to pray. It's, it's building it into your life. We read this verse last week, but Luke 5, 16, we see this type of a verse actually throughout the New Testament and the Gospels. It says, but Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. And the key word being often, it was a practice. It was a habit. It was a discipline. It was part of his life. Prayer was not his last resort. It was a first response. It was baked into the pie, as it were. Uh, prayer was not something that Jesus, you know, oh man, I'm in trouble. Now I need to pray. It was something that he did as a discipline. And what I think is that if Jesus did it regularly, we should too. If it was something that he found to be meaningful enough or valuable enough to add in and consistently do in his life, that should be how it is for us. And so the question is, how can we create a habit or a discipline of prayer? How can we build this into our life where it becomes a keystone, something we practice regularly? Now, let me be completely and, and fully transparent with you. Um, I am not the best person to learn prayer from because I struggle on a personal level to be consistent in prayer. And I could give you all these different reasons why, but probably because I tend to be a pretty self-reliant person. And, I, and that's not, I'm not saying that in a positive way. Many times I neglect prayer because I think I'll figure this out, I'll solve it. And then I remember afterwards, 
So if you're going to model your life, your prayer life, find some people in our church that really get it. I'm not going to embarrass people, but I know who they are. And I watch them and they disciple me in this area because prayer is something that out of the consistency comes the fruit and the result. And that that dependence on God. You know, for me, I think a lot of times I'm just too dang prideful and arrogant thinking I can figure out something beyond depending on God and really listening and and learning from him. But Jesus, who had every gift, every anointing, every whatever you want to say, he had all the mojo. Come on, somebody. He had it all. He still went into prayer because he was demonstrating for us what a spirit-empowered existence, what a what a God-focused uh, and, and, and a relationship with God, what that looks like. It wasn't just to get goodies or just get answered prayers. It was about the relationship. And so Jesus modeled this for us. Jesus often did it. So how can we do it? Okay, number one. First one is, come, is discipline. Pray daily. Pray daily. Remember last week we talked about Michael Phelps. He won 23 gold medals. Why? Because he was a person of consistent discipline. He swam every day from 14 years old through the the Olympics, six hours a day. Even though he'd been diagnosed as a kid with ADHD, his his consistency and his discipline created a result. Last week, I gave you that formula that uh, uh, consistent daily discipline equals or creates inevitable success. And it works in all kinds of areas of life. And it's the same in prayer. If you want to grow in prayer, you have to invest into prayer on a daily basis. Are you with me? If you want to grow or not grow, the opposite of grow, in your weight, you have to invest in nutrition and eating right and exercise, right? You with me? If you want your finances to grow, you need to invest consistently daily in the things that create uh, wealth. And so we're not going to go into all of that, but what we do daily is what forms us as people. And so prayer needs to be something that we do on a daily basis. Now, what's interesting is when you look into the Gospels, you find all these little moments where it says Jesus withdrew. Jesus woke up early to go into the wilderness to pray. Jesus did this. He was very busy. There was a press on his schedule and people were always drawing out of him energy and anointing. He was healing. He was preaching. He was doing all of these things. And yet he modeled to us this consistency in prayer to get to that place of prayer. Prayer can't be your, uh, the thing that you sort of say, when I have time, you never will, right? You know that there's kind of this unwritten law of the universe. It's different, called different things in different uh, venues of life. Like Parkinson's law and finances, if you if you like your income goes up, usually your expenses will rise to that level as well. Uh, Henry David Thoreau said, "Nature abhors a vacuum." Right. So we understand this principle: when there's a space, it gets filled. Right. And so if you have free time, and who who does? Right. How many of you are like I got too much time on my hands, overflowing? Right. Some people. Right. Teenagers. But the rest of us. No, I'm just messing with you. Actually, everyone is pretty busy. Uh, when you look at their life, there's, there's not, because what happens is life fills the gap. So we have to be disciplined about creating these spaces for prayer. So my challenge to you very, very practically is don't just hear what I'm saying and not do anything, but carve out some time for daily prayer. Okay. Carve out some time. Last week, we talked about 15 to 30 minutes for prayer and Bible reading, even if it was only five minutes, but if you made it a daily discipline, it's going to begin to build into your life, this moment with God. One of the things that I would encourage you to do, I find this to be very helpful for me to quiet my thoughts and get on track, is to use a prayer guide or a prayer model. And I don't only pray this way, as you'll find out as we go through today's lesson, but uh, one of the things that I I, um, do 
is I'll use a prayer guide, for instance, the Lord's Prayer. And I mentioned a little bit of that, you know, that our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And I'll park on that. And I'll say, okay, God, today, I just, I just recognize that you're my Father. Uh, God, you're my, you're my, you're my Father. You, you provide for me. You love me. You, you want my best. God, I thank you that I get to call you Father because of what Jesus did for me. So I worship you. I give you praise and honor. I pray your name would be holy, so I kind of park on that, and then it moves on. May your kingdom come, your will be done. I'll pray the kingdom and the will of God in every aspect of my life. I'll say, Lord, today I thank you that you're my father, but I pray, Lord, that your kingdom would come in me as a human being. Lord, that my sinfulness and my wickedness, that you would rule and reign over me. I, I surrender myself to you. Let your kingdom come in me. May my life be more of a picture of, of if you were living it, what it would look like. Lord, I pray your kingdom would come and your will would be done in my family. Jesus, I pray for my wife. I pray for my kids. Are, you see what I'm doing here? And so this model of the Lord's prayer, it sort of sets in time. And I can, I can say, okay, I have 10 minutes or five minutes or whatever. And, I, and it gives me some focus and some direction. I would say that preparation when it comes to prayer is vital, that you have to prepare yourself and also educate yourself just like in anything. If you show up uh, like on a basketball court at an NBA basketball court and you run out there, even if you have really awesome 70 short shorts, you're going to get dunked on, right? You're not ready. There needed to be some time and preparation. Not everyone can be an NBA basketball player uh, w without that time and that prep. Are you with me? And some of us just are never going to get there even if we prepare all the time. <laughs> lucky, lucky for us, prayer is not like that. So get prepared, but carve out that time daily for prayer and it will change your life. Consistent daily discipline creates inevitable success. Number two, as we talk about creating a habit and a discipline of prayer, is we need to pray continually. Pray continually. Now, this is something that is kind of scary. I'm going to read you this verse. It says, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. In another translation, the one I grew up with reading, it said, pray without ceasing. And so when I would read this as a kid, I would be like, wow, there must be some super Christians who all the time, you're, you're, they're talking, but they're not really talking. They're praying. <laughs> they're like, how about that Ducks game? Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Like in the back of their mind, <laughs> because they're praying without ceasing, right? And, I, and, I, and I, uh, I knew some people like that. Actually, there was a lady at our church in Medford named Billy Elder, and uh, she literally lived by the Spirit. She was actually totally blind, mostly deaf, and she would drive around. I think she actually hit... So people's cars in the parking lot, and she would just pray in tongues and drive. And uh, one time, my parents uh, were went to a conference up in Seattle, and she was part of the team. And uh, our church was uh, uh, broke, and so they were all sharing a hotel room, right? The people that were at this conference, which is weird. But anyways, <laughs> Billy's like at that point, like probably 110, and and so they said that all night she was just praying in tongues while she was sleeping, right? So she is praying without ceasing. But for most people. It doesn't mean that you just pray 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It doesn't mean that. What it's talking about is, is that there's a constant attention and an awareness of the presence of God and an interactive dynamic relationship that goes on and on. It's a running dialogue with God. Now think about prayer like this, because how many of you, and like me, would think about prayer as this religious activity? Well, I turn it on, and then I step into it, and then I do my prayer thing, and then I turn it off, and I go back to my real life, right? But prayer is a lot more integral and a lot more integrated into our life. Real prayer, like it's talking about here, 
is this conversation throughout the day. So let's, t- let's take a real relationship that we're, we're all fairly familiar with, like a marriage. What if I said, hey, Bethany, uh, at 7.15, this is our, it's our conversation time. So how'd you sleep? Bad? The kids woke up, somebody vomited, there's a bloody nose. Okay, that makes sense, average night. Okay, well, that's great. Well, hey, I'm gonna go to work now. Like, I'm so nice that we had our 15-minute conversation today. Can't wait till tomorrow. How many of you think that relationship wouldn't be very healthy, right? And yet that's what we do with God. So we diminish the relationship that we have with God and we compartmentalize it. And even people that are actually good at the discipline that I just taught you of praying daily, sometimes that's the only time they pray and they're missing part of a prayer life because they just have a prayer moment. And, a, and real prayer is communication with God. Therefore, it needs to be let out of the bounds. Now, here's the thing. Why did I put the discipline first? Because you must have discipline in order to activate mastery, but true masters don't necessarily live within the box. You with me? You're not. Let's keep going. Okay, if you're Leonardo da Vinci and you're a master painter, does he always follow the rules when he paints? No, but does he know the rules? Did he used to follow the rules? Yes. Why could he break the rules at some point in his life? Because he knows what the rules are. Are you with me? If I went over and played the piano, and I'm not a master pianist, but I'm good enough to pretend I know how to play jazz, which means making mistakes and making people think you meant it. (laughs) You ever seen Chick Corea play the piano? That's what it looks like. You're just like, he's not actually playing, he's just hitting it, and it sounds cool because the guy on the bass is like keeping up with him, you know what I mean? (laughs) You got to look up Chick Corea on YouTube now to see. I think it's Chick Corea, am I right? Is that the guy? Yes, okay, thank you. So, obscure references. Anyways, mastery starts with understanding the box, understanding the rules, the barriers, the limits, and then being able to step outside. And so when we talk about prayer, it starts with the discipline of daily prayer, but it becomes a conversation, a living, dynamic, interactive, but you never abandon the discipline. It's just that you understand that your entire prayer life doesn't live in the box. And so pray continually, pray without ceasing. It's like a conversation that goes on and on. And An example of this is like when I'm driving along from time to time, I'll just start talking to God and listening to God. And sometimes God just talks to me. And you you hear pastors say stuff like this, right? Like we all do. Even I hear other pastors say it and I'm like, really? What does that guy have that I don't? Nothing. When people say God's talking to them, it might mean that they hear a voice, that they sense an impression. It might just be an emotion. But, But there's a recognition that this relationship that we're familiar with, that it's God actually bringing that impression. It's not just like pizza dream. You know what I mean? It's not just random. And so sometimes we're driving along and the Lord will put someone on my heart. It's like I start thinking about someone. I start thinking about Rob Neal or I start thinking about Tristan or somebody. And I'll just, and I'll realize, oh, I need to pray for that person. The Lord is speaking to me about that person. I'll start praying. Or maybe I'm driving down the road and I'll just be like, Lord, thank you for this day. What a beautiful day right? What a, what a great day. Thank you for, for life. Thank you for everything you've done for me. It's that continual conversational relationship with God. Is that making sense? Okay, so that's number two. Number three is this, pray situationally. How many of you like television? How many of you like dramas, like courtroom dramas or, or like presidential dramas, you know, when they like the shows, like I don't, I've never seen The West Wing, but uh, people have like it or whatever. I'm trying to think of shows like 24 or something where the president's there and blacklist, you know, and they, they always have the president or whoever it is, the person in charge, and they're always sitting there. It's like how I want to be as pastor. I want a huge high chair. So when people come in my office, I spin around. 
so intimidated and in awe. <laughs> so they come into the office and they're like, sir, sir. Yes. As if like the, whatever they were doing over here was so important. Free cell. You know what I mean? It's solitaire. And they flip around. This is what I want to do. at our. Can we get a chair like this at our new building, Mark? Would that work? Put it in the budget. We're going to take another offering after service today. Uh, I, I don't know what I'm talking about right now. So the president, and they come in and they're like, sir, madam, whoever the president is, we have a situation, right? And how many of you know that when you say we have a situation, it's not like somebody brought milkshakes. <laughs> sir, we have a situation. They forgot your fries, you know? No, it's always like somebody's hijacked Air Force One and Jack Bauer is nowhere to be found. We have a situation, right? You know what I'm talking about? And how many of you have ever had these we have a situation times in your life? You're sitting there, you're minding your own business in your, you know, high back chair and you're, somebody bursts into your office or your room and they say, sir, ma'am, we have a situation and life invades, you know, in, in, in the worst moments. I mean, you're never prepared for tragedy, death, sickness, problems, financial ruin, situations. Like, and so prayer is, is something that we can use as a lifeline to God in situations, to pray situationally. When situations come knocking at your door, you can talk to God. And that doesn't mean that he's going to fix it immediately for you. Now, sometimes he does, and we're going to talk about that in, in a second here. But, but what it means is you have someone to talk to. You ever had a really bad day and, and you just need to tell someone this day was bad and the actually letting it out and just expressing how bad it was or, or explaining how you feel or what it did to you or what some situation that happened, that in some ways is healing and comforting. And yet in life, we find often that other people really can't bear your burdens. And I'll tell you why. 80% of people don't care about your problems and the other 20% are glad you have them. At the end of the day, you're not Jesus and neither am I. And how many of you know we do care about people, but there's also this whole selfishness thing that tends to creep up, right, from time to time. And even what we need to recognize is that if you're depending on other people to be the source of your strength in your life, you're, you're putting them in a position that they can't, they can't play that role because that's God's place. But he can bear your burdens. He can be the trusted friend of your soul. And I'm not saying don't depend on people. I'm not trying to make you jaded and cynical like me. I'm just saying that we have to recognize, let me tell you, there's moments where I'm in the anguish of my soul. And it's like, God, I, did, I would deal with this sin. I don't want to be like this anymore. How many of you ever pray that prayer? God, I don't want to treat my family like this. Lord, I don't want to be locked into this behavior. God, I want freedom. And there's nobody that I can talk to. I can't, I can't bear my soul to another person. And so what do I do? You go in situations to God and you bring your burdens to him. You pray situa situationally. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, this is including good and bad, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. God is open for business. He is open to hear, open to listen, open to respond. Prayer is our avenue to pour out our soul, to deal with the, the, the cries of our heart. We're going to do a series someday called Brutally Honest, the Prayers of the Psalms. I'm excited to, to do that one. We don't have it on the calendar, so don't, don't at me, but it's, you know, someday, Brutally Honest. Because when you look into the Psalms, you see the raw and the real and the authentic prayers of situations. 
So it says in the peace of God, present request to God in the peace of God, which transcends all understanding or it goes beyond what we can figure out on our own, it's going to guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Peace comes from the person that you bring your problems to. Like you can turn it over to God and you can trust in him, whether it works out or not in the way you thought it should or would, God has your back and he's with you and you're never alone. Come on. Because I'm not going to stand up here and tell you, man, everything always works out. If you pray, everything always works out. Everyone's healed. Nobody ever dies. Everybody goes home happy. We all get a pink Cadillac and we all get extra chicken wings at Chicken Bones. Like, no, it's not true. You can ask for them and who knows what will happen. But, but the thing is, though, that as a believer, as someone who can, uh, can, can, is connected with God, you have access to him to talk to him and pray situationally. Number four, I want to move through these so we can get through all of it today. Number four is this, to pray persistently. It says in the book of Luke, then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. Somebody say, don't give up. up. He said, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. This is the guy in the chair, right? Doesn't fear God, doesn't, doesn't care what people think. I love that move. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. (laughs) As a parent of small children, I understand this principle one million percent. There I am every morning in my chair doing my work. Dad, 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 daddy oh, dad, 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 dad. Headphones out. What? Kind of banana? No. Dad, dad, dad. Kick the chair, kick the chair, kick the chair, kick the chair. What? Kind of banana, kind of banana, kind of banana. Fine. Now this is funny because Jesus is saying God is like this. This might mess with your theology. (laughs) But God is up there and everybody's like, well, I asked him 20 years ago to do this one thing. And he's like, you did what? Like, I'm so busy up here. Like, you see how big of my chair is? You know what I mean? He's, (laughs) what? (laughs) You know what I mean? And Jesus is saying, you want to get his attention? You want to get him to move on your behalf? Just keep bothering him. How many of you knew that was the secret to prayer right there? There you go. From the man himself. Jesus told us. And the judge in the story, he's like, I'm just worried she's going to come attack me. And he's not afraid of the widow. He's just so bothered by her that it feels like a personal attack. You need to have a full out, you know, guns blazing assault on the throne of heaven for what you are asking God to do for you. Why? And I'll tell you why. Because the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will God not bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? It's, a, it's, a, it's an implied question. And the answer is no, he won't keep putting them off. Jesus goes on, he says, I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. In other words, those that bother the ear of God more get more answered prayers, faster than others. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Why does Jesus attach persistence to faith? The reason why is because if you actually believe God hears and you actually believe, like the scripture says, that he's a rewarder of those who diligently 
Seek him, not occasionally, but diligently seek him. And that there's something about God that he wants you to pursue him because it actually demonstrates that you believe. And there's a real relationship in the same way my wife wants me to pursue her even though we're already married. Why does my wife care that I pursue her? I already told you I love you. Nothing changed, I'll tell you if it does. That's not how it works, gentlemen. So why does God want you to pray? Why is he asking? Because there's something about a dynamic relationship because you're still alive. There's still another, hu- another person actually pulling on the string back and forth. Are you with me? And he says, well, am I, when, I, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Faith is demonstrated by the, by the persistence that we activate, but by the persistence that we pursue. This is one of the biggest secrets to developing a prayer life is to be Persistent. And I'll tell you, it's actually one of the keys to everything in life. And if you go back to last week, this thing about consistent daily discipline equals inevitable success. Persistent, right? Consistent. These are kind of the same thing. When you keep going after something, you tend to get what you're going for. Are you with me? And yet we demonstrate a lack of faith when we give up. Well, I prayed for that. Prayed for that. God wants you to continue to to push to the point of even where you're bothering him. And I don't really think you are bothering God, but I think there's a principle at work here that you should be willing to, to continue to ask and seek and knock until you see that thing come to pass. There's an old acronym that I learned when I was very young in church, and it's this, it's the word push, that you're supposed to pray until something happens. And yet, how many times do we do these weak, worthless, lack of faith, super unbelief, totally lame, anti-Christian little slogans that people put on bumper stickers like, well, if it's, it wasn't his will. I don't know if it's God's will. I prayed for that one thing. I prayed for that healing, but I don't know if it's God's will. It is his will. If you read the scriptures, you understand God wants to, wreck, to, to make everything right in creation, and we are to strive and fight and contend for that. Let me just throw out a really provocative thought that I have not vetted with any of the people that I should vet things through. So take it with a grain of salt. I wonder if some of what we would like to see happen in creation is waiting on the prayers of the saints and God is waiting for our participation to accomplish his will because he's given us a limited sovereignty over this planet. And if the church would rise up and demand in prayer, like Jesus taught us to pray, that God's kingdom would come and his will would be done if it wouldn't come sooner. So building a prayer life, not a prayer moment, but a prayer life, a habit, a discipline of prayer. Bottom line, prayer is talking with God. It's listening to God. It's communication. If you think about your relationship with God, like any other relationship, is it open? Is the, are the channels open? Is there communication? Every once in a while, Bethany and I, we get kind of off. And so she'll say, are you, are you okay? And I'm like, yes, you know, <laughs> or I say, hey, are you okay? And we talk and we have to figure things out and get back on track. I think sometimes we need to ask the Lord, Lord, have I, have I, am I, are we right? Like what's going on here? Is there an open dynamic relationship? Now the beauty of, of God is he never moves. Do you ever hear the story about the old farmer he and his wife sit together in the old bench seat in the old truck and they drive to town. And one day his wife leans over. She says, she's sitting over by the far window on the passenger side. She says, Elmer, why don't we sit together like we used to? And he says, well, Myrtle, I didn't move. 
That's how it is with God, isn't it? God, why aren't we close? Look, I didn't move. The thing is, if you, if you look into Hebrews, it says we can come boldly to the throne of grace. We can come boldly to the throne of God with confidence that he will help us in our time of need. He'll provide mercy. Jesus paid for access for you, for me, to be able to communicate with God and have this rich, interactive life with him. And so let's build that into our life. Be people of prayer, not just prayer moments, but a prayer life. We pray daily. We pray continually. We pray situationally. We pray persistently. Amen? Amen. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Hey, as we get finished today, we get ready to go eat some good food somewhere. I want to do something important. I want to give you an opportunity, anybody that's here today that wants to put their faith and trust in Jesus, to be able to do that. Listen, I don't have any magic words or anything for you. Uh, the, the Bible just talks about the fact that if a person calls out on the name of the Lord, like if you want Jesus to save you and you, you put your faith and trust in him, he comes and he does that miracle in your life. And it's, it's, it's a decision to follow Jesus, to be his disciple, to follow in his footsteps and to give him you know, the, the, the driver's seat in your life. If that's you today and you're like, Pastor Jake, I want a real relationship with, with Jesus. I want to follow him. I want to give him my life. I want him to save me from my sins. Not fake, not religion, but real, authentic. If that's you today and you want to make a commitment to follow Jesus, would you just lift up your hand so I can see? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I want to make a decision to follow Jesus. Thank you. Let's all pray this prayer together. Dear Jesus, I give you my heart and give you my life, all the good and all the bad. I know that I've not lived up to your standard, but I thank you for your grace and mercy revealed to me at the cross where you gave your life for me and made a way for me to be reconciled with you. Thank you for your grace and mercy. Thank you for restoring my relationship with my heavenly father. In Jesus' name, amen.